Why don't we, well, let's see, services are over at 4, or 4.30, or 5, <laughs> somewhere along there. So, uh, how would 7 be? I'm going to be here for dessert and ice cream at 7. You do what you wish. I had an interesting call from Ross LeBaron this morning. Uh, he had had a conversation with one of the neighbors up the road from the ranch there, and he wanted to share it with me. Seems this fellow grew up in this area, and his dad grew up in this area. There are Mormons that go a long way back. And uh, I, if I remember the story, I, I'm not sure I got all the details right, but I think it was when his father was young, and he said his father was a, a scholar of sorts, um, or, no, it might have been uh, when he was 13, because this would have been just, or just around or before World War II. Uh, anyway, they noticed a lot of Germans coming to visit Zion Park. Now, what are all the Germans doing here? Germans just left and right. So he, his dad asked, around to try to find out what was going on. And it wouldn't much say. But he finally got one to talk to him. And he said, uh, there was a Jewish scholar in Germany who convinced Hitler that the Ark of the Covenant was near Zion. And he had sent all these people over here to try to find it. A Jewish scholar must have had access in those days to some kind of record somewhere that he had researched or was knowledge among the Jews uh, that there could be such a thing. Sounds kind of far out, doesn't it? Anyway, the story went that Hitler was very, very desirous of finding the Ark of the Covenant because he thought that would create a situation where the whole world would pay attention to him and it would help him gain mastery and rulership of the world. Because their motto was Deutschland über alles. Germany over all. And he felt that that would be give him a big leg up on that. So, for what it's worth, uh, Ross said... Uh, thought I was doing okay, but it looks like Hitler was ahead of me. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but the leading scholar in the Mormon church recently died. He wrote quite a few books, but he was recognized as their leading scholar. And he said that the Ark of the Covenant is in southern Utah sometime before he died. Conclusion, we're not the only nuts in the world. So, take that for what it's worth. I'm going to turn to Revelation 2, 21. While I'm going there, I'll remind you that 
Christ said to the merciful, will I be merciful? And if you're not merciful, I will not be merciful to you. So we are to forgive, and if we are willing to forgive, God will forgive us, but if we will not forgive, he will not forgive us. Now those are very weighty matters, some of the first things that Christ dealt with when he sat down to talk to his disciples when he got away from the crowds and went up the mount to talk to them. Well, those are the weightier matters of the law. Remember in Matthew 23 where he was talking to the Pharisees and they were dividing their tithes out seed by seed to make sure they weren't one seed off. And he told them, these things you ought to do, tithe, but you're forgetting the weightier matters of the law, which was judgment and mercy being one of them. So those things are very, very important. Now here in Revelation 2, it's talking to the church of Thyatira, which exists today. All seven of the churches are in existence. All the attitudes of all these churches are concurrent. He said, verse 20, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against you, because you suffer that woman Jezebel, which calls herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed to idols, two charges that she was doing. Uh, these could be on a spiritual level as well as a physical level. But here's the point and the principle I'm looking for in verse 21. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. Now the church over the years taught that the churches were nose to tail through the ages, and yet here Thyatira is going to be tossed into the great tribulation, because she does not repent of those things that are wrong. The specifics of that are neither here nor there to me at the moment, there are all kinds of sins that can be perpetrated by all kinds of people. The point I want to make is that God does give us space, opportunity, time to repent. Now, is there an end to that? Is there a point at which God himself says that is the end of mercy, that is the end of space to repent, I will now act. Some people may read those verses I just quoted from Matthew 5 and 6 and say we have to be merciful forever and ever and we have to forgive forever and ever and we never have a penalty, we never stop it, we allow it. In other words, we begin to condone it by permitting it. Now God himself says... I gave her space to repent. When she did not repent, I will cast her into great tribulation. God does say, when he comes to judge this earth, there will be gnashing of teeth. There will be people cast into the lake of fire. Mercy is a great attribute of God. Patience is one of the fruits of God's Spirit. We need to be very patient. 
We need to be very merciful. We need to be very forgiving. There is a time when God removes that opportunity. And there is a time where God tells us to remove that opportunity. Why are we here today? We have been here, going on seven days now, to put sin out of our lives. Now, God means that. He didn't just talk out the side of his head. It was mentioned today at least once that we have those acceptable sins. Those which God doesn't accept, but those which we will accept in our lives. Are we more righteous than God? His mercy endures forever. But there comes a point with individuals where God says, I will punish. Now, he'd loved David probably as much as he's loved almost anyone that has ever walked on the earth. A man after his own heart. But when David sinned grievously, there was a penalty exacted. God killed David's child. You may not think of it that way. God struck the child sick, and God caused the child to die. God did that. We are here to put sin out. I had not intended to go here today, but maybe God intended it. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians 1. Verse 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Emmanuel, by the name of means by the authority of, or because of the power and authority and the office of, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. This is the Apostle Paul, who had been trained three and a half years in the desert of Arabia. He knew how Christ thought. There was no doubt. We have been going through a series on Abraham and how he believed God. Which of us here is more righteous than God? Which of us here is more obedient to the commandments of God than God? Well, we'd say nobody. Let's pursue that a little further. Which of us here is more merciful than God himself? Which of us here is more forgiving 
than God Almighty himself. In other words, God says be merciful, but he does say there comes a time when a penalty is exacted, whether it be David's child dying or whatever it might be. Throwing people into the great tribulation, which is going to actually throw 90% of the church of God into the great tribulation. And they are going to die of famine and starvation, disease and the sword, or go into captivity and be slaves for three and a half years before they die, or until they die. Now, are we more merciful and forgiving than God? If so, we are saying we are more righteous than God. Back to the original question. Protestantism has no bounds. God does. God is bound by his law. He is bound by his character. He is bound by his principles. And you can only push God so far. Abraham was pushing God a little bit when he says, there's 50 there, will you save the city? 45? And even in the context, he began to get a little squeamish and say, well, I know you're God, uh, but... He knew he could only push God so far. We need to come to learn to fear God. It is the beginning of wisdom, as we heard in the sermon at this morning. God is not a Protestant, brethren. He has his limits. In an overall sense, he will always be merciful. But he expounds upon that by showing that he will go so far and no further. We are told, in 1 Corinthians 1.10, that we are all to speak the same things. We are told that there are not to be any divisions or schisms among us. And that we are to become perfectly joined together with the same mind and the same judgment. Now that takes time. We need time to study, to pray, to meditate, to think, and to get on the same page so that we can fulfill God's purpose in us. The Father and the Son are one. There is no shadow of turning between them. And Christ prayed, and we read it on Passover night, that they be one as we are one. That was his prayer to his Father. And his Father heard that, and it is according to his will, and we will become one, in mind, in spirit, in judgment, or we will be removed. Exodus twenty thirty eight. God says he will purge the rebels from among us. God does not lie. 
I think it is of God that I took a side trip in the story of Abraham when Lot was told to separate from Sodom and Gomorrah. And I went through a lot of scriptures to show you why and how God expects us to separate and that he means business. I will not go back through those scriptures today. It's only been three or four days since we went through them. Do we understand that we should have the goal, the purpose, the undeniable urge to think alike, act alike, and be alike, and be like God? That is bedrock. That is solid teaching of God. Chapter 3, verse 3. For you are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? One says, I'm of Paul, another I am of Apollos. Are you not carnal? Where there is envy, where there is strife, where there is division, there is carnality. Carnality is something that needs to be repented of. That is sin that needs to be put out of our lives. 1 Corinthians 12, let's make this abundantly clear. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 25. Well, let's start in verse 24. For our comely parts have no need, but God has tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no division, no schism, no separation in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. Honor, suffering, whatever, we should be one body and go through those things together. But there should not be division in the body of Christ. There should not be those who have their own doctrines, their own points of view, that they go around promoting and the envy and the strife and the jealousy and the hate, the backbiting, the gossip that goes around. There is no room for that in the body of Christ. Philippians 3. Well, let's see, where was I going here? Uh, verse 14. Philippians 3.14. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Emmanuel. We have a very lofty goal and purpose in being here today. Let us, therefore, as many as be mature, be thus minded. And if anything, if in anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this to you. We're supposed to examine ourselves carefully and then take the Passover and see that God will reveal to us anything that is not mature and proper and of God. Nevertheless, whereto have we have 
we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the thing, same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. Look to good examples of people who are doing what is right. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Emmanuel, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. That is materialism. They think of the physical and those things that will please them on a physical level. And whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Let's go to Titus 3. Let's begin to see how God looks at administration in the church. We can see very clearly that he expects us not to be divided, but to be close, to be one, to think the same, to teach the same, to act the same. Here I want Titus 3. Uh, oh, I'm in chapter 2, no wonder. Verse 9, Titus 3, 9. But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable in vain. There are silly questions, like angels cohabiting with women. It's a silly, stupid question. Kind begets kind. The scripture very plainly says they would be in the, like the angels in heaven and not be able to have sex. People who argue that that happened and created giants will say, well, that's only one verse. Get real. There's only one verse back there that says that the sons of men looked at the daughters of men that they were fair and married them. Only one. All right, we got tit for tat here, okay? Trouble is, my scripture is very plain. Theirs isn't. That may be referring to Cain, whom Eve called God. There could be one of several explanations. But God himself stated, did he not? The kind begets kind. Demons cannot cohabit with women. I don't care how much internet you read. That is a silly question. A foolish question, unfounded in Scripture. Contentions. If someone is around who is always contending, they always have, wait a minute! Strivings about the law, various things in the Bible are always got an argument about. A man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject. Now that is scripture. That is God's word.
I've needed a lot of mercy in my life. And I have tried to be very merciful. I have tried to be very patient, sometimes against my human nature. I have tried to give space to repent to people who would not admit or change some things. And perhaps I was patient and merciful to a fault. Because it says a heretic after the first and second admonition, reject. Reject means what? Out. Go away. That's what reject means. Put a dollar in an ATM and it's bent, what does it do? Spits it back out. I guess. I don't use ATMs. I was thinking more of the car wash, maybe. Now, that's God's instruction from Paul to Titus, who was in the ministry. Don't listen to vain, stupid, foolish arguments, which have nothing to do with salvation anyway, but which cause division, which cause questioning, which cause problems, which cause arguing. We could pick out of the air any number of them. That, that one just came to mind because it's getting to be such a big deal on the Internet today about demons marrying women. Not marrying, cohabiting with. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 5. Oh, uh, by the way, I read that. Did you read it? What did it say? Someone who's a heretic, that is, someone who does not agree, doesn't want to agree, doesn't intend to agree, after the first and second admonition, get them out. That is God's instruction. That's not First Daryl 13.64. It's right there in your Bible. Okay? Let's go to 1 Corinthians 5. Here we are aware of the case where there was apparently incest, fornication of one kind or another, and the people were tolerating it. Well, let's just read it beginning in verse 1. It is reported commonly, this is pretty common knowledge, that there is fornication among you, and such fornication is not so much as is named among the Gentiles, but one should have his father's wife. This was perversion and fornication. And you are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he has done this deed, might be taken away from among you. We can be bleeding hearts. We can be do-gooders. We can be for the underdog. We can be a lot of things. And those things, to a point, are fine. To a point. But it had reached the point where it wasn't a big deal to them. We can live with this. In fact, <laughs> isn't that funny? 
maybe was even there. For I truly, as absent in body but present in spirit, have judged already, as though I were present concerning him that has so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Emmanuel, when you are gathered together, and my spirit with the power of our Lord Emmanuel. to deliver such an one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Christ. If people will not repent of the error of their ways and their filthy, evil, negative, backbiting, backstabbing ways, they are to be turned over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that hopefully they might repent and be saved in the long run. It does say in one place, of some have compassion making a difference, of others jerk out of the fire. I think that's the end of James, end of James 4. You have to know what to do. And sometimes you can show compassion and make a difference for a long time, and then you have to jerk out of the fire. Your glorying is not good. Know you not that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Didn't the sin of Achan and stealing that which was to go into God's treasury leaven the whole tribe so that God caused 30,000 people to die because of the sin of one man? He held them all responsible. And if we allow God to be mocked, he will hold us responsible. God is not mocked. I am told that if someone persists in heresy, or in a specific sin to put them out in the power of God. Purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. When you purge something, what do you do? You get it out. that you may be a new lump, as you are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. If we condone and allow to continue sin in the body, we mock Christ and his blood poured out for us. Let's get real. Let's get godly, not Protestant. Okay? These are the words of God I'm reading. They're not my emotion. They're not my doctrine. They're the words of Almighty God in heaven. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, 
but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I have today seen malice and wickedness in an individual. with plenty of witnesses who saw it. And I am bound by God to put that out of the body, out of the loaf, out of the lump, and keep the feast the right way. Not the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in an epistle not to company with fornicators. If you think this chapter is just about fornication, hang on a minute. Yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world. That ties in as another good one to go with those I read the other night about how we're not to have anything to do with this world. We're not to date in the world. We're not to marry in the world. We're not to have concourse and fellowship and friends with the world. We read all those scriptures. Those aren't Daryl's opinions. Those are words in your Bible. Either we believe God, are we here to worship God and repent, or are we going to stick to our attitudes and not come out of the world and be partakers of her sins and her plagues? I wrote to you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters. For then must you needs go out of the world. <laughs> you know, if you're never going to speak to a fornicator, or an idolater, or a covetous, or whatever, uh, then you'd never speak to a clerk in a grocery store. There are plenty of scriptures that show we're not to be friends with them, and fellowship with them, date them, and marry them. But he says, now I have written to you not to keep company. So you'd have to go out of the world not to brush shoulders with worldly people that are sinning. He says, all right, I'm going to make this specific. You are not to keep company if a man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous, has an undue desire for things that are illegal, whatever they might be, or an idolater, someone who puts something ahead of God, or a railer. We kind of tend to overlook those who rail against, who accuse. Do we remember who the accuser of the brethren is? Satan the devil. Anyone who is an accuser, a railer, a talk against her, a backstabber, a backbiter, is of his father, the devil. Or a drunkard. We put up with a lot of drunkenness in times past. Or an extortioner, a mooch, someone who extorts a living, food, place to sleep, clothes, things from others. It says here you're not to keep company with them. 
Do you believe that? Is that a misprint? Did God stutter? I'm driving this home, brethren. I don't talk like this very often. We've got to stick our nose in the Bible. We've got to believe God. The Father of the faithful believed God. These are the words of God. With such an one know not to eat. When you have one that is fomenting negativity, talking back, talking behind, putting down the leadership or others, God says don't have any company with them and do not eat with them. How many of us have had situations like that and we didn't want to be embarrassed and we didn't want to embarrass them and hurt their feelings and we went ahead and went right directly against what God says because we didn't want to hurt some railers or extortioners or drunkards' feelings. And when I stand up and say, do not put up with that, then people get mad at me. Daryl's not being fair. And then if I don't deal with it, they say Daryl's a wuss. I'm not here to please people. I am here to please Almighty God. I am here to live my life the best I can in spite of my damnable self to be like God is. And I have a hard time at it. And if you want to find fault with me, you can find it. And you can find a lot of it. And you can in each other. And if you'll be honest, you can find a lot in yourself too. So let's be careful. You can push me. And you can push me. And you can push me. And I will preach, and I will preach, and I will preach. And I will do my level best to be patient and merciful. But you can only push God and His Word so far. And if I'm to stand with God and His Word, you can only push me so far. And I will not push any further. I'll put you on notice. I will only be pushed so far. I should be pushed so far. I should give opportunity for people to take time to change. But if they don't, God gives us very clear instructions. Don't accompany them, don't eat with them, reject them. Now we're going to live by this or not. Chapter 6, verse 9. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor queers, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, backbiters, accusers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were set apart, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Emmanuel and by the Spirit of our God. 
And you've got to stop those things. If a person is any of those things, give them opportunity. And if they will not repent, or if they will not even admit they have the problem, reject them. We had a man down in the Miami church many, many years ago who drank a lot. Went to the feast. Somebody told me he'd been drunk for two days. So I went out to see him. And he stood there, more or less. I'm not a drinker. You could have smelled it for a block. And he could barely stand up. And while I was talking to him, he stood there and peed his britches. But he wasn't drinking. So I put him out of the church because he was a drunkard and a liar. And I had every right to. I didn't appreciate it, didn't like it. When he was sober, he was a pretty nice guy. So that he got drunk a lot. And my hand was forced. Go to Romans 16. Verse 17, Romans 16, verse 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. One place says don't have company, not even to eat with them. This one says avoid them. Now this is someone who causes division and offense. I have long said, ever since this group began and preached it a long time before that, that someone does not have to agree with everything I say. Sometimes I disagree with what I say and change it too. I find God's Word says something different. But there's a great deal of difference between quietly disagreeing until proof is offered or they can be convinced and going around, talking it up, and creating division. God draws the line. The analogy of communicable diseases is a good one. Someone can be sick, and it may not be contagious. And you can deal with someone who is sick, but not contagious. You can deal with someone who has a sin that is a private, quiet sin. And you can work with them over a long period of time as long as it doesn't hurt others. You can support the weak. You can strengthen them. You can try to help them. But when it becomes contagious, God always says, quarantine. Put them away from you so that the contagion does not spread. That is what he did in the Old Testament, and that's what he says spiritually to do in the New Testament.
or reading the scriptures about it. You see, once something is something that is bandied about and talked about and causes confusion and division and frustration and disturbs the peace, it has to be dealt with. It is communicable. Leprosy was that way. They put them out of the camp. That's the way it was handled. They were not allowed back until they went through tests to prove that they were clean. Not just say they were, but prove they were. So they could not infect others. Division and offense, contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. There are doctrines which have been in the church of God for 40, 50, 60 years that I know Sabbath, feast, tithing, not dating outside the church. The whole host of them that have been there, have been intact, in place, when I was just a little boy. They're not Daryl's doctrines. They were already there. And if anyone come and teaches doctrine that we have not learned, we're to avoid them. If you don't agree with us, we need to get together and talk. We need to get it sorted out one way or the other so that there is no division, no schism, so we're all on the same page. If you won't do that and you talk about your differences and disagreements, We will avoid you. And after the second and third admonition, we will reject you. I believe God is now purging the rebels. I'm seeing it happen. I'm thankful I didn't have to do it. I'm thankful he is. He said he would, re he would deal with the rebellious young men of Anathoth. I believe he is. And I am going to back him. If he somehow gets people out of here, it shouldn't be here, but he doesn't want here, I will back his play. Make no mistake. We are going to come to speak the same, do the same, act the same, and be one as the Father and the Son are one. It is a goal. It is a purpose. It is something Christ prayed to his Father about and asked that his Father would do in us. And we'd better get busy doing it. Now I guess I don't have any love because I'm going to do what God said to do. Is God love? He said, if you say you love him and don't keep his commandments, you're a liar and the truth isn't in you, and you're of your father the devil. That's God's words. Let's go to 2 John 9.
Second John 9. Whosoever transgress and abides not in the doctrine of Christ has not God. Of course, somebody would say, well, I have the doctrine of Christ and you don't. Sometimes that might be true. And if they can prove it, I'll change it. And I have on a lot of things. Have I not? A lot of things. If they could prove it to me, I changed it. If you can't prove it to me, I won't change it. I don't care if it does upset you. You've got to show it to me in the Bible. But we, as a group here, are conjoined by God to speak the same, believe the same, and that there be no divisions among us. God has appointed this leadership. And if you don't like this leadership, do yourself a favor and please go away somewhere else. Why come where you don't like the minister? Why come where you are envious and jealous and resentful and put yourself in a lousy attitude by getting with birds of a feather and griping and complaining and backbiting? Why put yourself through all that? Why live in hate and misery? If I'm in my house or out here behind the barn somewhere, you're not hurting me. Doesn't change my attitude at all. You're just hurting your own attitude. You're just making yourself miserable. If you're that miserable, why would you want to be here? Why would you want to have to hear things you don't want to hear? You're hurting yourself more than you're hurting anybody else because it's you that suffer the bad attitude. Why do people beat their head against a wall? Why do they take a stick and beat themselves over the head? If he doesn't abide in the doctrine of Christ as expounded in this Bible and as we understand it, has not God. He that abides in the doctrine of Christ, he has both the Father and the Son. Now he makes a, a, an organizational governmental statement. If there come any to you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God speed. Do not... Allow one who brings doctrine different than that which we believe in your house. Send him on his way and don't say, God be with you. Is that clear? That's John, who was the most beloved disciple of Christ, making that judgment and God making it Scripture. Somebody going to accuse the Apostle John of not having love? That's all the man wrote about in his Gospel and in these three books of John here. About all he wrote about. If any man had the love of God, of any human being other than Christ, it was John the Apostle. These are his words, brethren. So if you think this isn't love, you don't understand God or John the Apostle or what real love is. 1 John 2, verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
If you love this world and the things of it and want to mix with it and show by your attitude and desire to mix with this world, then God says that the love of God is not in you. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God abides forever. Little children, it is the last time. And as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. Antichrist means enemy of Christ or enemy of God. And didn't we see that he who is a friend of the world is the enemy of God? says it in so many words. We read it the other night. Verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. We've had people depart from us who simply were not of us. They didn't agree. They would no doubt have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest, but they were not all of us. They weren't really with it, with us, didn't understand the same, didn't agree, couldn't walk together because we weren't agreed. Some have done themselves a favor and left. If you're unhappy, frustrated, upset, why be here? If you disagree with the ministry, you think the ministry is unrighteous, or that they embody Jeremiah 23, Ezekiel 34, Malachi 1, and that's the kind of ministry we have, why hang around? First John 2.9 He that says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness even till now. Says he's in the light, hates his brother, God says he's in darkness. I have a brother that hates me, jealous, envious, resentful. He isn't in the light. I don't hate him. I've tried my best to be patient and merciful. I've cleaned up his messes in times past. I've rebuked the demons he left behind in times past. God is not confusion. God will not live in confusion and filth and squalor. That is not of God. Satan's mind is confused. Almost invariably over the years when I would go to someone's house to visit when they asked for a visit, if I saw papers, boxes, junk stacked up in the house four, five, six feet high, the yard full of junk, crows in the trees, cats crapping on the newspapers were stacked up to here. I suspected demons right off. And they were invariably there. God does not dwell under those conditions, brethren. He just does not. He is not the author of confusion. 1 John 4, 
verse 6. We are of God. Do you believe that we here are of God? John believed he was of God. I believe you are. I believe I am, in spite of all my weaknesses and faults and problems and attitudes. But I fight daily. We are of God. He that knows God hears us. He that is not of God hears not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. John 4.24 says we must worship in spirit and in truth. Attitude and truth. If they're not listening, they're not praying to, they're not worshiping the same God we are. We have to look at it that way. If they're in disagreement, they need to find somebody they can be in agreement with or they need to adjust their thinking, one of the two. I have tried to give people years to adjust their way of thinking. If they will not adjust their way of thinking, they have had patience, they have had space to repent, and if they won't go away on their own and do themselves a favor, then we have to tell them so. Verse 20. If a man say, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he that loves not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? Now let's go to Second Peter 2. You think this has been bad? We're not done yet. Second Peter 2. <clears throat> but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Now if we try to bring the world in here, we try to fellowship with the world and be a friend of the world. He says we're an enemy of God. We are buying destruction for ourselves. That's the word of God. Many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you take from you, mooch off you, use you out of their own lust and covetousness and laziness and won't work. God says if they don't work, they shouldn't eat. But Protestantism says, well, if you don't work, you can get welfare. You can go to the dole. You can go to the soup kitchen. You can come to my house and eat. God says if they don't work, they don't eat. Paul said, do not feed them. Paul <coughs> does not stutter. He was a weak speaker, but he didn't stutter that I know of. With feigned words, lies. Blah, blah, blah this, blah, blah, blah that, and no fruits. No changing, no growing, no overcoming. Just empty words. 
whose judgment now of a long time lingers not, and their damnation slumbers not. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them into Tartarua, delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved to judgment, didn't spare the old world, but saved Noah the eighth, the preacher of righteousness, turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, delivered just Lot, who hated what he saw but couldn't get away from it. We just went over some of that. If he did those things, in verse 9, the Eternal knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust of the day of judgment to be punished. And he says, let's clarify now who I'm talking about here. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh and the lust of uncleanness, all kinds of unclean lusts for things they should not be lusting after, despise government, he says, chiefly these are awaiting eternal judgment from Almighty God. Despising government, saying we don't need government, we need a roundtable discussion or some other hog vomit that is unbiblical because they want to teach. Despise government, presumptuous are they. God says presumption is as witchcraft. It's the same thing as demonism, to be presumptuous. If we talk against government in the church, we are of the devil practicing witchcraft and demonism. Can it get any clearer than that? They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Now these are the ones who are the first in line, front row, chiefly these, for eternal damnation, says the Apostle Peter. How afraid to speak evil of those in office are we? You haven't heard a whole lot about church government in this group. Not a whole lot. Some groups, that's all you hear. You do everything the minister says or you're out of here. I mean, that's almost weekly fair in some organizations. You don't hear much of it here. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusations against them before the eternal. Even the angels who are righteous don't bring railing accusations against those who have been put in authority in the church. But I guess you're better than angels, aren't you, if you dare to do that. Verse 12, but these, these who have this attitude and allow themselves this, but these, as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not. I've heard that it's been said by one or some that Daryl's deceived and this whole thing about Jerusalem and all this is of Satan the devil. Hasn't been to look at any of it. Hasn't examined any of it. Hasn't really read much about it. Hasn't checked it out. 
but has made the judgment it is of Satan the devil. Her words to that effect. It is foolish to answer a matter before you hear it. To react emotionally when you don't even know the facts. But it just doesn't seem right to you, so condemn it. And tell others who are doing the research and trying to find out that it's wrong. And destroying what trust and faith they might have in their study and their meditation. It's damnable. It's abominable. It's ungodly. They speak evil of the things that they don't even understand and shall utterly perish in their own corruption and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Just like rioters, spots they are and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. Having eyes full of adultery, could be spiritual and physical. They cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls. And heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children. The things we just read about up there. Presumptuous, talk about dignities, make judgments about things they haven't even researched completely. They've forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bosar, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. They'll put money ahead of God. Can't afford to tithe. Don't believe in it. Just because the Bible says do it. That's the way of Balaam. But was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumb ass speaking with man's voice, forbade the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. People who have the attitudes we've just read about and who react this way, the Apostle Peter, by the very authority of Emmanuel of Christ and the Father in heaven who put it in the Bible, says that they will go into the lake of fire unless they repent of these attitudes. I don't want to see anybody go there. That's why I want to give space to repent and change attitudes and change approaches. But if people are dead set and adamant, there comes a point where separation has to come. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lusts of the flesh. Through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, freedom from this oppressive church government, they themselves are the servants of corruption. The devil's the corrupt one. And when we go against God's government, they're not rejecting you, Samuel, they're rejecting me. We are of Satan the devil, for whom, of whom a man is overcome of the same he has brought into bondage. For after, if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Emmanuel, or Christ Emmanuel, Emmanuel Christ, I'll get it right, they're again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. 
It had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. That's sad. Let's go to the book of Jude. Jude, the servant of Emmanuel and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Christ, and called, Mercy to you, and peace and love be multiplied. The love, I mean, he, had, he wanted the people to do good and to be blessed, but there were problems. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write to you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write to you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. Not people going off ever after every wind of doctrine and striving over words. For there are certain men, crept in unaware, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lawlessness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Emmanuel. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the eternal having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. God was merciful and brought them out of Egypt, brought them across the Red Sea probably on the last day of unleavened bread, which is today. And they turned back and they all died in the wilderness at the hand of a merciful God who will not preserve rebellious, murmuring, apathetic, backbiting, gossiping people to live forever. God's mercy truly endures forever. Someone who is negative and down, God will not suffer to live forever. They'd be miserable forever. I remember seeing some of the things that were happening in the church back in the 70s that were bad things. And I got myself in a really bad attitude over some of them. And you know whose life it messed up? Daryl Henson's. I got in such a bad attitude, it made me mad. I got in such a bad attitude, I had a bad attitude. I made myself miserable about things that I couldn't do anything about. Some of the things I was upset about might have been wrong, and they might have been right. I didn't see them, I only heard. Why did I let myself get in that attitude? I guess I was yet carnal and lascivious. I guess I was not controlling my mind and my thoughts and keeping them on God and on the good, but I was listening to the bad and allowing it to affect me. It wasn't a good thing. Glad I got over it. Some people never got over it. And they're gone. They're back out in the world. Thankfully, I recovered. And I hope if you're in this attitude, you can too. He again mentions the angels who sinned. He mentions Sodom and Gomorrah, verse 7. And he says, likewise, verse 8, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, despise government, and speak evil of dignitaries. About the same thing Second Peter was saying. Jude was on the same page with Peter, believe it or not. 
Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Eternal rebuke you. Michael the archangel would not even talk degradingly about the devil himself. The Eternal rebuke you. He put it on God. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, haven't proved, don't know, or deny, or won't look at the proof, or in denial, like the man who stood there, barely able to stand up, peeing down his leg, saying, I'm not drinking. Pretty strong denial, I'd say. But what they know naturally is brute beasts, and those things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and run greedily after the heir of Balaam, for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Korah, rebelling against the constituted government that God put there and going after office and physical gain. Those things have been around forever. These are spots in your feasts of love, when they feast with you, same thing Peter said. I wonder if they heard this from Christ. They both said the same thing. Feeding themselves without fear. They say these things and think nothing of it. Clouds they are without water. Carried about of winds. Every wind of doctrine. Wishy-washy. Listen to this one, believe him. Listen to that one, believe him. Listen to somebody else, believe them. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Trees whose fruit withers, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame. Wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. So they're headed the way of Satan, and they'll have the same fate as Satan. Enoch also said that Christ would come with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And speaking against the ministry is the same as speaking against God, because that's what God told Samuel. If God constituted the government and put it there, and you speak against it, you are putting yourself in dire jeopardy, brethren. I'm not saying that because I want you to fawn over me. I'm just a human being, and I know that. And those who are in bad attitudes, whatever the ministry, will say that. Well, just a man. Think I don't know that? Think the ministers don't know that? I'm as subject to sin as anybody here. Maybe I've been the chief of sinners. It's not a bragging, that's just a fact. Long way from perfect. But I'd better respect the office God given me, gave me, and you'd better respect it too, in spite of me. I'm sorry I sometimes make it hard for you to respect the office God gave me. I apologize. I'll try to do better. I try every day. But I fall short. And I make it easy for you to be critical. I'm working on it. I don't want you to destroy yourself because of me. But you're not destroying me, you're destroying yourself when you do that. That's what this says. 
These are murmurers. You know what God does with murmurers? He killed millions of them in the desert. Murmur, murmur, murmur. Complain, gripe. God hates murmuring. God kills murmurers. Don't be a murmurer. <laughs> Duh. Do we forget these scriptures and murmur anyway? We all have. But we shouldn't. These are murmurers, complainers. Have we ever complained? We better be careful. God puts us, Jude puts us, in the same category as the angels that sinned. In very plain language. And their mouth speaks great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of whatever advantage they think they might gain. But, beloved, remember you the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord, how that they told you that there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves. Get off in the corner and talk to only those to those that will listen to them. Sensual, having not the Spirit of God. They go by their senses. It doesn't necessarily mean sexual sensuality here. It means they go by their senses, their emotions, not by truth. But, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Christ Emmanuel unto eternal life. And if some have compassion, make a di making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. It was in Jude, not James. Now to him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Why is it we have people who spend more time trying to figure out what Satan and the devil and the Pope and the New World Order is doing than they do in figuring out what God is doing. Isaiah 8 says very clearly, don't fear the New World Order or the conspiracy, fear me. Why do we do this? Why don't we focus on what God is doing and try to figure out what God is doing? We really need to do that. Well, I started this tirade because someone showed up today who had been told not to come here and lied and said he had been told he could. Been told by several people, the whole council of Anatoth had told him, don't come back, go prove yourself for a year. And whom I had called after that and said, you're envious, you're jealous, you're hateful toward me, you despise me, you don't want to be here. Why would you want to be? You need to go find a climate you can grow in. And it was my brother Mark. And he was told today that he is not to ever come back on this property. And I am marking him publicly. Now that is stronger than a simple disfellowshipment. Public marking means he is not to be talked to, he is not to be corresponded with by letter, by email, by carrier pigeon, 
telephone, or thought waves. He is publicly marked as one that creates division, who has done, old, done untold damage, who has mooched, who has lived off of, who has lied, and lived like an absolute pig in a sty, an ungodly and was full of malice and hate today. And it was seen by several. I'm sorry to have to do this. I hoped it would never come to this. Some of you thought I was too weak. It's not been weakness, brethren. I've been trying to be as merciful as I could. I've been trying to be forgiving. I've been trying to offer space for repentance. I've tried to offer every opportunity to do what is right, even as God has given me every opportunity to do what is right, and I still fail. But it is contagious. It is an attitude that is wrong. And he has been admonished formally, not twice, not three times, but more times than that. And I have been disallowing and disregarding and not living up to the very words of God when I did not reject him after the third admonition. I repent of that. And I hope he repents. And I hope he's in the kingdom of God. We tried to show compassion making a difference. It didn't help. It didn't work. I hope he will think deeply and that this will help jerk him out of the fire. But if he doesn't change, he's hateful, vengeful, bitter, resentful, why can't I be a preacher and teacher attitude? He will be in the lake of fire. So we are physically turning him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh in hopes that he will repent and the spirit will be saved in the long run. That is love. That is what God would have us to do. Because if they won't listen to logic, they won't listen to patience, they won't listen to help, and they won't work, and they won't produce, and they stay in a lousy attitude, then that has to happen and bring false doctrine at the same time. I think God has caused several people to leave here. As I look at the fruits and I look at the things that they would not change, we gave them years, and they just would not. I'm sorry. But if God is purging and God is causing them to leave, and I didn't ask any to leave initially. They left on their own. All I did was back it up. If God somehow caused them to decide they shouldn't be here, I waited. And then wrote them a letter or told them or called them or whatever and told them, make it as permanent as your attitudes are. If you repent and change and show the fruits of repentance, I'll welcome you with open arms. But words, after so many years, don't mean anything. They're empty, swelling words of vanity. God says, judge by the fruits. 
when I see attitudes change and turn around and become teachable and loving and kind and humble, and I see the fruits of repentance in their lives and change, I'll throw my, open my arms and give them a kiss and a hug and welcome them back, and I mean it, every last one. But I won't until. Now, those of you who thought I was a weenie, repent. And those of you who thought I've been too hard and too harsh, guess you're in charge now. No, it's not that way. I pray for mercy every day. I try not to let any day go by that I don't personally pray for mercy. Because I need a lot of it. And I'll try to be merciful. But God has backbone. And he only allows things to go so far. And he says, stop it. And I'm going to back him up. And I can't let those words fall to the ground either. I say pray for Mark. I say pray that God will bring him to repentance and help him change his attitudes that he's had all his life, change his way of living. And others who have left here, they'll change their thinking and repent. If we have any of these attitudes, are there any of us left that are like that? I don't know how much God, time God will give us to change. He may give us more, but I think he's about ready to move forward with the next phase of his work. And he may have said, time's up. Repent or else. You know, it's going to be that way with the tribulation. It's going to be that way with the final judgment. God will allow so much, but then, you know, it's over. It even says at the end of the book of Revelation, he that is just, let him remain just. And he that is unjust, let him remain just unstill, or unjust still. It's just simply too late. I'm coming back. Judgment is being made. I gave you space. You didn't take advantage of it. I'm sorry. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It will happen. I hope not to very many. And I hope not to any of you or to me or any that we know. Pray that they repent and become godly.